Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. A few years ago, luxury watchmaker Romain Jerome introduced a crocodile skin strap watch, which they called the Titanic DNA night and day watch because it included salvage materials from the luxury liner. Now, if you looked at it, the first thing you might think would be, how do I know what time it is? And that would be a great question because it doesn't actually have any hands on the face. It's only able to tell you if it's uh, day or night, like you can't look out of the window. Here's how they advertised it for the discerning buyer. World first, an exceptional timepiece that does not indicate the time. With no display for the hours, minutes or seconds, the day and night offers a new way of measuring time, splitting the universe into two fundamentally opposing sections, day versus night. A new interpretation of time based around two tourbillon operating sequentially. The first operates during the day, defining the wearer's period of activity and stops after 12 hours, handing over to the night tourbillon dedicated to man's own private sphere. Now, they only made an extremely limited edition of just nine pieces, which, of course, sold out as soon as they were offered with a price tag of only £250,000 each. For me, this watch is a perfect picture that combines two themes that we're going to be looking at as we look in the, the last chapter of the book of James with today's theme. If, if you've read the chapter before, you'll remember that James has just been writing about people who planned their lives and spent their time as if there was no God. And he said they were fools. Now he's going to speak to people who plan their finances and spend their money as if there's no God. And he says they are wicked. So this is serious stuff. Let's not just listen to these words, but as James said earlier, treat them like a mirror to check ourselves in, what we're doing, uh, how we're living. And he does sound like an Old Testament prophet of social justice, announcing the judgment to come on the wicked wealthy, the filthy rich. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you fell to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. That's what you call telling it like it is, pulling no punches. James starts out saying, now listen. And it's like, oi, you, listen up, you rich. And we're like, well, who's he talking to? He can't be talking to me. And some commentators on this part of the letter would say that he's not talking to Christians. He's talking about people who oppress them. The problem with that is he's not writing to those outside the church anywhere in the letter. They wouldn't read it anyway. But all the way through, we've seen that he's been laying out tests, tests of faith to see whether we really are Jesus followers or not. External tests to show what's going on inside of us. Testing times, trials, temptations. Tests of not just hearing what God says, but doing it. 
tests of prejudice, taming the tongue of where we get our wisdom from and who's really in charge of how we spend our time. And this, I suppose, is the money test. Remember, James was living in a day when Rome was not a democracy, which means the people rule, but a plutocracy, which means government of the wealthy. Plutos means wealth and Kratos means authority or strength. So you are either part of the rich ruling elite or the rest, the proles. There was no such thing as a middle class. That's a very recent invention and idea really in the world. We have to recognise no human system, whether national or local in government is perfect. That's why we have to pray for our leaders. But that doesn't excuse us from not looking at our systems too with regard to injustice and who profits and who loses out. And these words challenge everybody who holds any kind of power that in the end they'll be judged as to whether they used it and ruled fairly for themselves or, or for others. And it's not saying that it's necessarily wrong to be wealthy because who is the richest being in the universe? It's God, isn't it? So having wealth or possessions in itself is not necessarily sinful or wrong. The Bible says God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He himself declares the silver is mine and the gold is mine in Haggai chapter two, verse eight. Psalm 24 says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And by the way, that's not David trying to be cool saying in it. Dad joke, there you go. Having wealth does not mean you're automatically evil or greedy. Any more than being poor means that you're necessarily good or a kind person. But money does provide a paper trail of evidence. That's what James is saying here. And he says the evidence is all against them. Money is a litmus test. It's a visible demonstration of whether we really do love and live for and serve God or mammon. And Jesus said, you can't do both. See, in James's day, there were three main indicators of wealth. There were corn and wheat, which were the commodities that were traded. There were clothes, which showed whether or not you were wealthy. And there were precious metals like gold and silver, which were the ways rich people secured and secreted away their wealth for the future. And we could think eating gourmet food, wearing luxury branded fashion and a big balance in the bank. So you can afford whatever you want is passing the money test. But James says no. Those people have all of that, but are failing very badly. And here's one thing none of us can afford. We can't afford to assume it's not us he's talking to, because one day, either when we finish this life or Jesus returns, we'll find out. So right now is the time to check rather than wait and adjust our investment choices accordingly. See, Jesus gave a sneak preview of what's on the final examination in Matthew 25. His disciples have been asking what would be the signs of the times and what we often call the end times. And here's what he says and how that reads in the message version. When he finally arrives, blazing in beauty and all his angels with him, the Son of Man will take his place on his glorious throne. Then all the nations will be arranged before him and he will sort the people out, much as a shepherd sorts out sheep and goats, putting his sheep to his right and goats to his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, enter you who are blessed by my father, take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation. And here's why. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was homeless and you gave me a room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you stopped to visit. 
I was in prison and you came to me. Then those sheep are going to say, Master, what were you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will say, I'm telling you the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. Then he will turn to the goats, the ones on his left, and say, Get out, worthless goats. You're good for nothing but the fires of hell. And why? Because I was hungry and you gave me no meal. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was homeless and you gave me no bed. I was shivering and you gave me no clothes. Sick and in prison and you never visited. Then those goats are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or homeless? or shivering, or sick, or in prison, and did not help. And he will answer them, I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you fail to do one of these things to someone who was being overlooked or ignored, that was me. You failed to do it to me. Then those goats will be herded to their eternal doom, but the sheep to their eternal reward. So Jesus said, some people will pass the final examination and they'll be glad forever. Others will fail and be miserable forever. And that changes everything because we've been told you'll be miserable if you don't have enough. So to win at life is to live to get more than you want. But Jesus says, true happiness comes when I realise I need less than I have. So I live to give, to care, to share whatever I have. Because having anything to share above the basic necessities means I'm already rich in world terms. So the distinction there is not about the rich and the poor. It's not about how much you have. It's about how much you give. It's about what you do and don't do. That's the test. And James gives us this in three parts ahead of the final test. So we can check today whether we're failing or passing. Now we might think, well, if I had more, I'd give more. But that's usually not true especially in terms of percentages. In 2019, two-thirds of people earning over £250,000 in the UK gave nothing to charity. Money doesn't really change who we are. It just magnifies our true natures and shows us what we're really like. If you're stingy and selfish, you'll have more to grasp and stockpile. If you're grateful and generous, you'll have more to appreciate and give. So James is really calling out anyone, especially anybody who says they're a Christian, who lives as if earth is their heaven, focusing down here on wealth and riches and possessions. And he says, rather than cheer and pop champagne corks, each such person instead ought to weep and wail, literally shriek and howl, burst out crying. Why? Because all the excess food that they can't eat will rot. The fashions they can't find room to wear will ruin. And the gold and silver that they trust in will rust. The whole lot will be burned up anyway in the end when Christ returns, but not before it's laid out plain for everybody to see the evidence that if those were our focus in life, you chose the wrong God. So what are the three parts of the money test which runs across the course of life to see if we're filthy rich? Can we invite the Holy Spirit now to check our hearts and bring conviction so that we can assess ourselves and adjust ahead of the final examination before it's too late? Lord, let your word be a mirror so I can see 
within and shape my life to make me more like you. Amen. So this is a three-part test, and they all begin with the same letter, so that you can remember, or if you're taking notes. The first one, hoarding. In verse 3, he says, you have hoarded wealth in the last days. That's it. See, this isn't about um, savings or life insurance policies. It's wise to save rather than spend everything. Proverbs chapter 30 says, even tiny ants are wise enough to store something from summer to get them through the winter. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, hoarding is idolatry. In 79 AD, when Vesuvius erupted, one rich young woman did not flee like most residents. She stayed behind to collect as much jewellery as she could rather than escape by boat. Her fingers went uh, to, the, to the rings and, and she just put them all on there. She didn't have time to pick up a bag. She rushed out into the street, clutching her pearls and rubies and gold brooches and earrings, but then poisonous fumes overcame her and she fell and died in the street and remained under the ashes until in 1981, archaeologists found the ring lady preserved with her hands still laden with the jewels that cost everything for her to hold on to. What's holding on to us that's holding us back from following God? Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There's only one who is good. If you want to enter eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honour your father and mother and love your neighbour as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. When Jesus met the man that we call the rich young ruler, he cut through the glamorous exterior to show the bankrupt heart of his materialism. Notice, he went away sad. Why? Because he had many possessions. The problem was the possessions possessed him so much so that he couldn't say yes when the King of Kings offered him a job. He couldn't go because he couldn't let go. He wouldn't pay the price to gain the prize because gold was his God. Bad choice. But then Jesus told his disciples that they had done a much wiser thing because he said, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. The young martyred missionary Jim Elliot famously said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. See, Hoarding is stupid when you realise you can't take it with you when you go, but you can send it on ahead. So what's your score on this one? One to a hundred. 
See, I'm not, I'm not saying don't have a savings plan or ISAs or a pension. Hoarding is not that. The Cambridge Dictionary defines hoarding as the act of collecting large amounts of something and keeping it for yourself often in a secretive places, or a mental condition, which makes somebody want to keep a large number of things that are not needed. It says hoarding is often linked with depression and anxiety. In other words, it makes you miserable. And the first part of that word is miser. miser. And being miserable ends up making you not able to do what God wants. So that's number one. And test number two is holding back or withholding what's right. James chapter four says, they're keeping back, holding back what should be given. They're cheating, defrauding others of their fair share. They're profiting from unecological, unfair, unethical trade that's bad for people and the planet, not caring about it. That's what it would be like in, in, in our day today, is when I don't feel the pain of other people's deprivations because of one-sided trade that only benefits me aid that doesn't help, wages too low, debt so high that it in, enslaves generations. Verse four says, money talks. He says, the wages you fail to pay, the workers are crying out. And of course, this was not just a first century issue. The gap has been growing ever wider, tearing societies apart. Today, the world's richest 1% have 44% of the world's wealth, more than twice as much as the lowest 6.9 billion people. But I can't compare myself with them. I have to look in the mirror again and count myself wealthy. Now, national minimum wage is £8.21 an hour. And Oxfam say almost half of humanity is still living on less than £4.30 a day. But if I'm just content to be a consumer, I'm deaf, dumb and blind to that because I'm doing okay. But this says the Lord of hosts, literally the Lord of heaven's armies, sees and hears it all. In 1967, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, the storm is rising against the privileged minority on the earth from which there is no shelter. The storm will not abate until just a just distribution of the fruits of the earth enables men everywhere to live in dignity and human decency. And those clouds are getting darker and darker these days. We have to care because God cares about economic equity. He's focused on justice for the poor and we should be driven by hope and love and kindness. But our systems, if they're based on the prosperity of the few and driven by self-interest and greed, which institutionalise oppression for the many, they're holding us back from being who God wants to be. So look out for hoarding and holding back. And then the final paper on the money test is what I can only call hogging because there's no other word that comes to mind when James here describes piggy individuals living high on the hog he says you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence you fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter oh isn't that just a horrible horrible picture but it's also the good life that's advertised to us every single day look at some of the words again more closely and we'll check what matters to us as we do so You've lived in luxury. Trufeo in the Greek, we get truffles from that. The word is linked to softness, delicacy, the easy life, pampering yourself. Only the best will do for me. Self-indulgence is the opposite of living simply so others can simply live. It's linked to excessive eating and drinking, even the worship of food. You know, in the UK, we buy nine million cookbooks a year. Most of them now telling you that they'll help you to lose weight if you eat this stuff. 815 million chronically malnourished people will go to bed hungry tonight. 
Three million children starved to death last year, while in the UK, 40% of dogs, 50% of cats are overweight and 63% of people. James diagnoses fattening of our hearts, the Greek cardia. What's the number one killer in the West? They say COVID-19 has killed 440,000 so far. It's terrible. Heart disease kills 18 million people a year. What are we trying to fill our hearts with? What matters most to us? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. For the wicked wealthy, the filthy rich, you see this life is as good as it gets. It's the closest thing to heaven. But for those who love Jesus and put him first and follow him, this life is the worst it gets, the closest to hell. To be rich without God means trading the shortest term gain for the longest term pain. See, I often wonder about that verse in Revelation where it says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Why, why cry in heaven? Maybe my tears will be looking back over my time here and it will be because of all the waste, the ways I've lived and consumed and spent so much with the wrong priorities. Even though I've said I want to follow the one who, yet he was rich, became poor for my sake. The Bible closes out with these words. I am coming soon followed by the response, yes, come Lord Jesus. He's coming, ready or not. So let's take the money test now and live as though we're not only waiting, but ready for his soon return. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org media.